Welcome to the College Park Church of Christ Sermon Series Podcast. This sermon was recorded at the College Park Church of Christ in the Conroe Porter area. Join us for worship on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and Wednesday at 7 p.m. Thanks for studying the Word of God with us. This morning, I'm going to tell you a little story about me to start with, to preface what I'm going to speak on. In case you didn't know, I, I was raised on a farm in Oklahoma. You know, we had a couple of milk cows, we had some pigs and chickens, and that's how we sustained life. We didn't have a lot of money, and that's okay, because nobody around us had a lot of money. didn't matter, but we worked hard. But the thing that sticks out the most is we had a garden, and... My dad was a perfectionist when it came to his garden. And I think nowadays people, if they get a few 20-foot rows of beans or peas or whatever, they're happy with that, and they think that's a garden. Our rows were over 100 yards long. It spanned about two and a half to three acres of land. That was our garden. Uh, We plowed, we dissed that garden, We drug the weeds out of it. But dad wouldn't just let me and my brother go at it then. He had to make every row in that garden because he made sure they were straight. We got to plant them, but we couldn't cover them up until he come home from work and he got to cover them up or he made sure we put the seed in the right place. Because he had a certain way he wanted it done. And then maybe we get to cover, we got to cover them up. But after we planted and the seed started germinating and started coming through the soil, that's when the real work started. I can remember my brother and I carrying five bucket, five gallon buckets of water to water tomato plants because we didn't have enough water hose to reach that far. So dad, we'd stretch as far as we could, fill up the five gallon buckets, we'd go water. We'd go water those plants. We'd carry water all day long. But that was when the real work started then. Our Topic this morning I've outlined is to be an Apollos. And I'm taking 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. It says, Who then is Paul and who is Apollos, but ministers by whom you believed? Even as the Lord gave to every man, I have planted, Apollos watered, God gave the increase. I think as we read these verses, we should be able to see that there was planting and there was watering. And the planting sometimes is easy to see. You bring somebody to church with you, set up a study with you. You, you kind of see, hey, they're planting seed. Sharing the word of, the, of God with people. But just as in 1 Corinthians 3, Paul planted, the planting came first. It's easy to, and this is kind of easy to see in my life. The seed in my life was planted by my parents and my grandparents. 
I got to travel with my grandpa as he preached in other congregations and he would pick me and my older brother up and take us with him on the weekends when he was going somewhere else. That was a treat. And he would preach over most of eastern Oklahoma and into Arkansas at different congregations. I can remember seed being planted. My mom, my dad was working in the oil field and sometimes he didn't go to church with us all the time during that time. But my mom, she would get us, there was three of us then, she'd get three of us up. Every Sunday morning we would drive 80 miles one way to church. Because that was the first, the closest congregation that believed the way she did, that held the same principles. Those were constants in my life, was my mom and my grandparents, and they rooted us in the Word and taught us to follow God. But you know, just as anything else, planting a garden... There's an enemy to that. In Matthew 13, starting in verse 24, it says another parable he put forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened to a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst thou not sow good seed in thy field? And from whence then hath it tares? He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servant said unto him, Will thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while you gather up the tares, you root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and in the time of harvest I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Good seed was sown by my parents, but over time as I grew, I let, I let the tares come into my life. And those, the world cultivated those tares just like we would cultivate new Christians. A lot of these things, I was like 19 years old when I moved to the Dallas area to work. And I had every excuse in the book. I could use it. Some of it worked overtime. I, I'd sign up for overtime all the time. That took me away from the church. I had worldly friends. Participated in worldly activities. I liked playing ball. Sometimes I would play four, four nights a week and then on the weekends. And I used those as excuses and it took me away from the church. And then I would also use the excuse, there's just not a church close. And back in those days, that was the late 70s, it was different times than it is today. You know, we've got men that that go and they find churches, they put them in a book for us. So we'll know where there's a church. We can plan vacations and know where we're going to go to church before we ever leave now. 
But you know, those are still excuses that I used. You know, in verse 30 of what we read, it talks about how the tares and the weed had to grow together. Then the tares, they had to be gathered and burned. This because sometimes we don't realize the effect of our tares until we get a little water and the good seed begins to grow and then we see the tares also. As we read in 1 Corinthians 3 and 6, it says, Who then is Paul and who is Apollos? But ministers by whom you believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. I look back at 1 Corinthians, the third chapter, we see after the planting, there was also watering done by Apollos. And sometimes it seems that watering is harder to see because it's not just labeled out there blatantly, just right in front of us. We don't see, a lot of times, we don't see the watering. But it's got to be there, and it's there. The watering is necessary for us to be able to remove the tares in our lives and let God give an increase. You know, in our home, we've talked a lot about how everyone wants to be like Paul. We want to bring people to Christ, and we need to. We need to be doing that. But how many times do we bring somebody to Christ and they turn around and walk out the door later because we didn't water. And we've talked about that, how we should be like an Apollos. What should we do? How can we water people? You know, he didn't go back and keep planting, he watered. So what, what would watering look like? We've discussed examples of those we've seen water in the hearts of others, and we have talked about it as a family. And as we do that, it became very apparent that our family, even being part of the church, is a byproduct of people watering my life. They watered my life. I'm going to look at this example, I believe, in a way, as a way to help us learn what tangible examples of watering look like, what they look like in my life. I can't speak for anyone else here. All I can do is speak that this is what happened in my life. I was raised in a Christian home. I left home. The enemy sowed tears in my life. I wasn't in the church. I left the church. Then in 1989... My son Chase, he was nine years old. His mother, my wife, was diagnosed with cancer. And we fought that battle for six years. Kaylee was born kind of in the middle of all of that. My, my dad and my mom were down in the Dallas area with me at the end of my wife's life. And they, all we could do was pray. And that's what they prayed. They prayed for God's will to be done. But my dad had enough. I mean, we didn't have cell phones back then either. And uh, he just happened to know a man in Oklahoma, an evangelist, Jerry McCorkle. And I'm going to use some names. 
But Jerry, my dad knew Jerry, and he called him and told him what was going on. And I believe that's when the watering started. Jerry happened to have a son that was living in the Dallas area, Mike McCorkle. So Jerry called him. And it just so happened that Mike was with his brother-in-law, Bruce Woody. They were together at that, at that very time. And when Jerry called Mike, you know, I, there was three things, I believe, that could have happened. They could act right then. They could say, okay, you told us we'll act later. We'll come and we'll do something later. Or they could have just ignored it. And I think sometimes we do ignore those opportunities maybe that we have. But you know what? Those two men, they chose to come to the hospital that night. They talked to my wife, my parents, and me. They didn't know me. I'd never met either one of them. But they came there to help. They saw an opportunity to show the love of Christ with no strings attached. And I thank God every day that they did. You know, they stayed in touch with me through the end of my wife's life. She passed away in May of 1995. Chase was 15. Kaylee was almost two. I didn't know who to call, so I called Mike and Bruce. I had their numbers. I called them. Mike made the time to come and preach a funeral of somebody he'd just met, basically. Bruce and his wife, Rebecca, they organized some singing. And this is all for somebody they just met. They didn't know me. This was them watering. And this, this watering made it apparent to me that my life needed to change. I needed to make a change. So when we got back from the second funeral in Oklahoma where we were from, Kaylee and I started attending church at La Prada in Mesquite. Chase wouldn't go with me. And I don't blame him. I didn't raise him that way. But Kaylee and I started going. We were welcomed into that family at La Prada and there were some people that really stood out to me and still do. Bruce and Rebecca, they included us in everything. We had kids about the same age. Everything that they were going to do, they, they tried to include us. Brent and Becky Fisher were the same way. We had our kids in the same swimming lessons. We, they included me. And I think throughout all this watering, 
The seed, the word of God began to take root in my heart again. And while those tares were starting to be harvested, and we burned them, we didn't leave the roots in there, we burned them. The burning of the tares required a lot of letting go of a lot of things and people in my life. You know, but as you let something go, things fill that spot up. You need something to fill those voids. And those voids were starting to be filled by other members of the congregation at La Prada. I remember Rick and Jeannie Burridge inviting us over for lunch after services. That gave us stuff to do, we, to be with other Christians. Terry and Colleen Gibbons, they'd invite us to lunch and they were doing some Bible studies. They'd include me. Remember Robert McFadden and Dale Reed? At that time, Robert was a deacon and Dale was an elder. They'd come out to the house. And I don't know how many times where I lived from the congregation, it was about a 20-mile drive, but everybody said that was a long ways. <laughs> you live so far out. But you know, they, they came out. They drove out there. Clyde and Linda Woody. They came out to the house and visited. To fill the void of playing sports, we had a softball team there at the church. And we played softball. So that filled those voids when I was, I was letting all those other things go. And we started visiting other congregations. We'd go to gospel meetings. Brent and Becky would call me and they say, Greg, you want to go with us? Sure, let's go. But to do those things, you've got to let things, your life change to do that. I could tell these, some of these stories about just about everyone in the congregation at La Prada. Because they kept watering. They kept including. These people, they watered with their lives. They showed me how and what Christianity was all about. They knew and understood that watering is relationship building. And it's more than just Bible studies. They were investing in my life. These were my examples, some of my examples of how my life was watered. And I believe in Luke, starting Luke 15, I believe this fits this topic. It says, starting in verse 11, and he said, a certain man had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living and not many days after the younger son gathered all together, he took his journey into a far country. And there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land. And he began to be in want. 
And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and I go to my father and he will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him and, out, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. The father welcomed him home. He celebrated his homecoming. He didn't sit him down. We don't have a record of it. He didn't sit him down to lecture him. He was glad he was back. He was focused on rebuilding a relationship. And in 2 Timothy 1, verses 5 and 6, he says, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and in thy mother Eunice, and am persuaded that in thee also. Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. And also in the third chapter of Second Timothy, starting in verse 12. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Lois and Eunice had taught Timothy. They had planted that seed. And I believe that shows us that he was well-versed in scripture through his childhood. And I believe when Paul came, Paul didn't replant no seed. He didn't replant that seed. Paul became a waterer. He mentored him. He encouraged him to grow in the word and walk in Christ. And in Colossians, the fourth chapter, the seventh, starting in the seventh verse, it says, All my state shall Tychicus declare unto you, who is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose, that he might know your estate and comfort your hearts. With Onesimus, the faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they shall make known unto you all things which are done here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, saluteth you, and Marcus, sister's son to Barnabas, touching whom you received commandments. If he came coming to you, receive him. And Jesus, which is called Justice, who are the, of the circumcision. These only are my fellow workers unto the kingdom of God, which have been a comfort unto me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you always laboring 
fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him record that he hath a great zeal for you and them that are in Laodicea and them in Heropolis. At the end of this letter to the church at Colossae, Paul outlines the work that other Christians that he's sending to other places are doing the wa to water for those congregations. These people, such as Tychicus and Esmus, Epaphras, etc., are serving fellow Christians. They are investing in others who have a foundation in the word and are seeking growth. These examples, I believe, will lead us back to 1 Corinthians 3. Because the goal of Paul's mentoring of Timothy ministry and all of these people ministering to the Colossians was to grow the kingdom and to give praise and glory to God. This increase is sometimes not immediate and is hard to see because it takes time sometimes for God's word to work. However, looking back now, I see the watering and planting in my life has increased the blessings in my life and in the kingdom. I think one thing that needs to be noticed is that while my parents planted, all of these people watered, they knew the results were not in their hands. Just like in the end of verse 6, God will give the increase. You know, I, after I had started going back to church and decided my life was changing, I needed to make that change, Chase wouldn't come with me. It was perplexing to me. I was, I was like, man, just, just come with me. And he wouldn't do it. And, of course, I could think about it, and I'd go, well, why would he? This change dad was making, hey, he didn't know where that was coming from. Hadn't raised him that way. So I went and talked with Gerald Hanley, one of the elders at La Prada, and, and I was needing some answers, I thought. And Gerald just flat told me, he goes, well, you're his dad. Tell him to come. I think that's where Gerald and I, one thing we disagreed on. Because I didn't raise Chase that way. And I was, you know, I knew what I wanted him to do. But 15 years old, I kind of lost a lot of time there. So I asked Gerald, I said, you know, I said, I can't make him come, Gerald. He said, well, you got another choice. He said, you can lead him there so I had to start thinking about that how I mean there's no one thing to fit everything how do I lead him to something that he didn't grow up around so there was one thing that he loved to do and that's play baseball and he's pretty good and I, I would take credit for that, but that's probably not right. <laughs> but 
he played a lot of baseball on Sunday afternoons. And I said, well, there's something that he hasn't ever seen me do. And that was get up and leave a baseball game that he was playing in. So I decided that Kaylee and I, we, we'd go to church on Sunday morning and worship. We would leave. If we had time, we might get a little lunch, and then we'd go to these baseball games. And I would see what time it was. It was time to go back to church for the evening service. We'd walk by the dugout and say, Chase, we got to go. We'll see you later. And we left. And we went back to church. After some time went by, Chase, he did start coming with us. He said, Dad, can I go with you all to church? And I go, sure. I said, yeah, you can. You know, he was baptized in 1998, his senior year of high school. That summer, there was an evangelist that was at our singing school, Brother Ty, and his family. And I talked to Ty about using names sometimes in sermons, and I know sometimes that's, you might hurt somebody's feelings, but if you don't mention them, but Ty and his family were there. I think Ty was doing the preaching, if I'm not mistaken. He might have been doing the singing instruction, I don't know. But the congregation at La Prada, Brother Clyde Woody, had set aside monies to help with young men that might want to go travel with an evangelist. So they could not be burdened with worrying about finances during that summer and things like that. Well, that was an opportunity that he had, and he took it. Brother Ty and Lisa and their girls, they invested time in him that summer. And he was watered very well. This not only increased his faith, but it increased mine and Kaylee's as well. It gave us opportunities to build relationships with people in other congregations when we would visit the places that Chase or Ty and Chase were preaching or Ty was preaching and Chase was traveling with him. Some of them were down here. Some of them were in Oklahoma. If it was within driving distance, because Kaylee wanted to see her brother. He was gone the whole summer. So those were watering opportunities that took place. And about the same time, I went with Brent and Becky Fisher. We went to some gospel meetings quite a bit around the North Texas area. And we went to Sherman, Texas for a meeting. And that's when Brent introduced me to Kim. I'd been a bachelor for five years. Guys, it ain't great. <laughs> it's not. 
But they, Brent had introduced me to Kim. We dated for about a year. We were married in June of 2000. You know, Anna Grace was born in March of 2004. Chase was ordained as an evangelist in May of 2004. Kara was born in November of 2005. Kaylee was baptized in July of 2017. Anna Grace was baptized in July of 2016. Kara was baptized in July of 2017. All these events are examples of the increase God provided in my life and in his kingdom. You know, things could have played out a lot different. They could have been a lot different. It could have been a time that I just didn't want any part of the church because of the circumstances that happened. And I could have let my life just given over back over to the tares. But I'm so thankful that eager Christians took an opportunity to water when called upon. And that all of that increase was allowed to happen. So what is watering? Watering is, is focused on the kingdom of God. Watering needs to be kingdom focused. Looked at, look at the people mentioned in the Colossian letter. Their focus was on the kingdom and serving the people of the kingdom. Waterings for everyone. It's not always the members of just leadership. We don't, we don't need to sit back and wait on leadership to do the watering. I think the examples from my life and the letters to the Colossians, I think while leaders definitely will water and can water and should, like Paul did with Timothy, they're not the only ones. We're all called to find our ways to be an Apollos in water. We need to build each other up and invest in the lives of our brothers and sisters. Watering is relationship-oriented. We look at the story of the prodigal son. We don't have a record of the father trying to reteach everything that he had done. He'd already taught him. I'd been taught. But he celebrated his son coming home. Because he knew that that root could take hold again and start growing. We don't have a record of him taking over his son's life either. Because I know you can't flood a field and expect a harvest. Sometimes too much water will wash out the seed. But maybe we need to talk to the ones that are planting. Find out what they need to support them in that. It might just need to be a friendly face. You might not need to go behind them and try to replant what they've already planted. But get to know the people 
and the brothers and sisters that they're working with. Find out when and what you need to assist them in and how to assist them. Watering also needs to be ongoing. Watering doesn't stop. Watering transforms and we become waterers ourselves. Paul was invested. He was invested in Timothy and he watered him. And in turn, Timothy watered the saints where he was sent. So as we close this lesson, I hope that it has benefited someone here to make, maybe if they need to make changes. But come, as we close, I'm going to urge you to join me examining, and examining our lives. Determine, are we so focused on being planters and we're not willing to be an Apollos? If seed's been planted in your heart, if the seed's been planted and you're ready to accept the gospel call, to be baptized for the remission of your sins, or if, there's, if there have been tears sown in your life and you need the prayers of the church and some watering to be done, I'm going to ask you to please come forward as we stand and sing the invitation song. Thanks for joining our sermon series podcast today. For more, check us out on YouTube or come worship with us on Sunday mornings and Wednesday evenings.